and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, it is my pleasure to have Josie Haynes on board with us. She has over 10 years of experience at various companies, including some big names like Apple. But she is, I think, known for some other things, which we are going to be talking about today. I think she's very passionate about our topic. But before I share that, Josie, I am so glad you could join us today. Please tell us a few words about yourself. Hi, Carolina. Thank you for having me today. I'm so happy to be here. So yeah, let me introduce myself. So I'm Josie Haynes. I'm currently the VP of Software Engineering and Head of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Tile. And so I've actually been an engineering leader for over 10 years, but have worked in the tech industry for actually over 20 years now. So I started my tech career in the middle of the dot-com boom in early 2000 and have pretty much been working in Silicon Valley companies since then. And, you know, the last 10 years, I've really been focusing as an engineering leader, working on large-scale consumer technologies at places like Zynga. I worked on a bunch of games at Apple. I worked on Siri Music Media and Sports, and we worked on um, things like Siri music for the HomePod, which was awesome, and Siri on Apple TV. And my team actually won a technical Emmy for that integration on the Apple TV while I was leading the team, which was pretty awesome. But my story actually takes a little bit of a turn. In early 2018, when I left Apple, I thought I was going to leave the tech industry. But I realized that if I walked away, I was going to be walking away from having the ability to impact the future. You know, since I started doing this in 2000, tech has started impacting our lives so much more on a daily basis. But yet, you know, a lot of what we're solving in Silicon Valley today is still what I call convenience problems and not really solving the real world problems like climate change, you know, the education system here in the United States, right, and everywhere, honestly. And truly, to be able to have those impacts, we A, need more diversity in the tech industry because we need more diversity of thought to really get some of these ideas off the ground. And we need to be retaining women and underrepresented minorities so they don't just join the tech industry and then walk out the door. 56% of women leave tech after 10 to 20 years, and I did not want to become that statistic. So I decided I was going to come back to tech under my rules this time, and I wanted to work somewhere that really, truly valued inclusion, and, you know, it wasn't something that was lip service. So in 2018, I actually joined Tile as uh, the platform engineering director, but before joining, I actually spoke to CJ, our CEO, and said to him, look, if you want me to join the company, I think, you know, this is an amazing company, but I want to make sure inclusion is something that's important to you. Like, I want to come in and be able to spend some of my day-to-day time 
thinking about diversity and inclusion. How do we create an amazing inclusive company? I also really wanted to roll out a mentoring program. I had tried to start it at Apple when I worked on Siri and I started Women at Siri, but the VP of Siri at the time actually didn't believe in mentoring. And so I wasn't allowed to start a mentoring program. So this is really important to me. And so I loved what CJ said. He said, I'm married. I have two daughters. I have two sisters. I have no brothers. I have no sons. I have all these women in my life. And I've told my wife that I really want to make Tile the best place for women in the Valley. And so I said, okay, cool. I will join Tile. And so, you know, I've been at Tile now for over three years and it's been amazing in creating a really truly inclusive culture in the tech industry. And also I've been doing tons of public speaking around this topic because I'm just so passionate about it. Thank you. Thank you for for telling us that I love that story. (laughs) And I am so glad that you can tell us that story. With that said, let's jump into today's topic. It's empathetic leadership in a remote environment. I'm sure that many of us feel that empathy is something that we need to cover and perhaps understand and practice. But then sometimes we feel like it's a lot harder when we are working remotely. We aren't meeting up for coffee with our colleagues. We aren't bumping into each other at the cafeteria. So today we are focusing on that and hopefully we will give many tips and tricks to our listeners. Mm -hmm. With that said, tell me a bit about your experiences and your vision. What do you think empathy should and what does it look like at the workplace? How should we define it and what should it be for all of us? This is one of those things that I think is such a crucial and important topic. And yet a lot of times empathy is thought of as this kind of vague thing that can't be tactical, right? So at a high level, Empathy is really the ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really understand like how they're feeling. And it's crucial, especially as a leader, to really have compassion for your team members and understand that they have different perspectives. And it's important to take those into account you know, when you're leading a team. And so, you know, especially in engineering, one of the things that I think, like I mentioned earlier, is a lot of times people are like, empathy is this vague term. Like, how can you make this concrete? Right. And so a lot of times for the engineers in the room, I like talking about empathy and code reviews, because that's something that's very tactical. That's something that an engineer does on a day to day basis. And so when you start with something concrete like that, then they can really see, oh, this isn't just this vague term empathy, like I can actually action on this. So let's take code reviews for the example. There's multiple places you can apply empathy in a code review. First, let's look at it from the person who wrote the code perspective. At that point in time, usually you're like, I want to get this thing out the door, work on my next project. But 
and this this is like your last checkpoint before getting it done. And sometimes you're kind of in a rush, right? You just want to go move on to the next thing. But you have to realize, hey, the people who are going to be reviewing this code, they didn't go on that journey with you for however many weeks or months you might have been developing this piece of code, right? And also hey, let's have some empathy for your future colleagues who also may have to touch the same piece of code in the future. And hey, wouldn't it be nice if they could have some sort of documentation that explained, hey, maybe why were there some really crazy things being done in this small section of the code, right? And so, you know, I tell people writing code reviews, treat it as an archaeological ex- like dig almost. And you're kind of presenting the facts to the other people of like, hey, you want to obviously write really good, clean code, and but you need to give context. Like, why are you doing these things, right? And, and use the code review for that purpose. And then on the other side, there's the code reviewers themselves. And they also have a place to play in the empathy card, right? Because when you're looking at code sometimes, you can be like, why in the world did somebody do this? That seems stupid. But (laughs) if you ever start a comment to somebody with, why did you or why didn't you? That comes off as an attack. And that's automatically going to put the other person into defensive mode. And realize at the end of the day, yes, we're all passionate about building the best possible product, but we have to assume and start with trust that, hey, I also each of our colleagues who are here, we're here for the best intent possible. Like we all want to deliver an amazing product. So maybe there's a reason they wrote the code like this, or, or hey, maybe they were having an off day, it made a mistake, right? And so coming at it from that place of, hey, we're all trying to learn. And this is really a learning and growing experience. And so instead of asking a question in the code review that starts with, why didn't you close the statement? It's like, oh, hey, I noticed that there's this extra variable, and I don't see it used. I'm curious, like, did you mean to have it here? That rephrasing of the exact same question comes off with much more compassion and empathy. And so it's like, giving these little examples of empathy around being really a concrete thing that you can apply on a day-to-day basis instead of just thinking about it as this amorphous concept. Awesome. I love that. And thank you for the for the examples. Even those, like if you stopped listening just right <laughs> here and went away with that, I think that would make the world a better place. <laughs> but don't leave because we have some other good stuff for you. Okay, so this is what empathy can be used for in the workplace. And here were a couple example of how we can practice empathy when we work together. You know, we have been working in a remote environment, I think most of us in IT for almost two years now. So the example that you described was very remote friendly, you know, we can actually have merge requests from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. But how is empathy different in a remote work environment versus at the office? I mean, I think one of the things that people don't always think about is we're not just in a remote work environment. We're in a remote work environment with COVID. And that actually is adding 
a significant layer of stress to everybody in the world. And as leaders, that really means we have to up our empathy game. Like we have to be so much more empathetic now and really understanding and taking the time. And when you're in an office, sometimes it can be easy to, you know, you'll run into people, you'll have those casual conversations to build those relationships, those little things that build trust. You don't have those when you're in a remote environment. And so that's why it's so crucial and important to take empathy really to the next level when you're thinking about it in our remote world. So people can have so much stuff going on in their personal lives, and you might not even know just because like you only see them on this computer screen. And so really, you know, especially for the leaders, I I say, spend your first five to 10 minutes of your one-on-ones casually chatting about how your coworkers are doing, like how are their families doing, like getting them to open up. And I know this might seem like a crazy amount of a 30 minute one-on-one to spend on just chit chat, but it's not just chit chat. That is actually relationship building. And especially, you know, um, I have a ton of meetings, right? And so one of the cheat sheets I tell managers is when you have those casual conversations with people, take some quick notes on, you know, the important things that, you know, your employees say, because, hey, guess what? We're, we're all humans. And like, I don't remember everything everybody tells me, but I want to, right? And then if I take a little note that says, oh, you know, so-and-so said, you know, their daughter is starting dance lessons, right? I can next time I meet with them say, oh, hey, how's your daughter doing at dance lessons? The level of empathy that that shows that other person is amazing. It means you really cared enough to think about them again. And that is going to end up getting your employees to deliver so much more for you than pretty much anything else that you can do. Right. My first thought is that, right. And uh, what I tell my colleagues is that I take notes because I am a cognitive scientist and I know that the brain is a very unreliable machine when it comes to storing memories. And so even if I remember things, they might not be as accurate as I believe them to be. So I take notes to have the best possible memory for myself and for everyone involved. And the other thing is that I feel like some people might say, okay, but is that really empathy when you take notes because you don't really remember the people? What would you say to that? I say it is empathy. You're actually taking the time to actively think, okay, like, hey, I am not a perfect human being, right? Empathy is not about us being perfect, right? I think that's the thing, right? This whole allyship, right? Like, we need to be allies. The reason I spend so much of my free time, you know, people ask me, like, why do you do this in your free time? Like, I've given 40 talks this year. And people are like, why do you do this? And it's because it's so important to be getting out there and having these conversations. And it's just like, 
I'm not perfect, even though I talk about this all the time. Like I make mistakes when it comes to things I say, and it's about realizing, hey, this is a learning and a growth journey, right? And so it's the same thing with taking notes, right? Like I know myself. I know if I am in meetings eight hours a day, five days a week, which I pretty much am, I am not going to remember a lot of what people said. And so for me to be able to have that empathy, it means I have to take those notes and that's okay, right? It doesn't mean you have to like magically remember everybody. Guess what? Like most people I know who are really good networkers actually have like their equivalents of like little black books of everyone they've networked with and little notes about what they talked about because that's actually how you build this empathy and learn about people, right? Right. Right. Thank you so much. And thank you for saying the tip about the five minutes, just talking about things with the person in their private lives. Because I feel like that can make or break a professional relationship when you don't really know anything about each other, but their delivery processes, you know, it's like, okay, but do you know if they're married or not even? So thank you for saying that I've run into that a lot too. Like, why are we talking about this? And I'm like, it's part of the process of, you know, trusting each other and getting to know each other. So with that said, you have talked a little bit about leadership and how to lead empathetically, but uh, can we maybe give it a more formal twist? Like how do you, you define an empathetic leader or empathetic leadership? Yes. So for me, I love Brene Brown's definition of um, empathy. And in her mind, there's four attributes to empathy. And I think these very much directly tie to how empathetic leadership needs to work. So the first one is really perspective taking. And so that really means as a leader, being willing to Put yourselves in somebody else's shoes, you know, see the world through their eyes and really listening to what they're going through. So many of us get into this habit of wanting to fix things, right? Like, especially as engineers, we're really good at fixing things. And I thought as a manager, when I first started managing, my job was to fix things. And that was not my job. <laughs> I realized very quickly, my, my colleagues don't need me to fix things. They need me to help them fix their own problems. And so, so much of this is really listening and reflecting back first that you really are acknowledging how that other person is thinking and feeling, right? And, uh, Um, So the next one, I said perspective taking. The second attribute is staying out of judgment. And we need to be open to the fact that other people might suffer from challenges that we don't suffer from, right? And so it's important to, to not say things like, oh, I don't know why you're upset about this, right? Like, it's important to really make sure, again, you're listening. You're really taking the time to understand. Then the third aspect, which I actually already kind of referenced a little earlier, is recognizing those emotions. What is the other person truly feeling and acknowledging, hey, is this what you're feeling and asking them that? And again, this goes back to the fixing it thing. 
it's not so much like if somebody comes into your office really, really frustrated about something, it's going to be a lot better if you say something like, hey, it sounds like you're really feeling frustrated before you jump into potentially trying to fix things. If you don't acknowledge that feeling, like it doesn't matter how much you try to solve something like it's the feeling is still just going to be clouding the whole conversation. And finally, the last part, you know, is that communication piece, just like I gave the example during the code reviews around, you know, how you can say things in a better way. Again, it's how you're saying things. You want to really validate that you're understanding their experiences. You know, you can say something like, hey, I'm so sorry you're feeling like this. I know it kind of sucks or it sounds like you're in a hard place right now. Tell me more about what you're going through. And and really, again, taking the time to listen is so crucial. Right. Thank you so much. And uh, with that said, m- the the example that you gave, you know, like when somebody says, I don't know what's upsetting you, you can twist that. I feel like a lot of empathy is really about these nuances in communications. You can say, I can see that you're feeling upset mm-hmm. and I still don't understand what is going on inside you. So if you could please explain it perhaps in different words, mm-hmm. that might shed some light on it for me. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't sound as judgmental, I feel, than just saying, I don't know why you are upset. Exactly. It's like, hey, I'm curious. Please tell me more about why you're upset. I really want to understand. And I don't have that understanding right now. Right. So we have touched on this and the definition, which I think is really good to clarify what we are talking about and, and give some tips and tricks out. What, in your opinion, are the challenges of bringing empathetic leadership in a remote environment? What are the specifics of of these challenges? Well, I think the biggest is, you know, you're missing so much those verbal and physical cues you get when you're in a room with somebody, right? And sometimes it's shocking to me, like, I understand, like, hey, if you're in a group meeting, like, sometimes you want to turn off your camera, I do as well, right? And hey, sometimes I'll tell people like, hey, I'm doing a walking one on one, is it cool if I don't have my video on? But, you know, when I'm doing a one on one conversation with somebody, like, I almost always want to try to make sure I have the video on. So I could at least see some of those facial expressions because you know it's so hard to really engage you're missing so much of the percentage of cues right so that's one of the biggest things that makes it challenging and then the other one is again you have to be so much more intentional about building your relationships because you're not running into people at the coffee room to grab coffee. You're not, you know, it's not lunchtime and everyone's gathering for for lunch. And so, you know, it's about, again, being much more intentional. And then I think finally, and it's really tied to the fact that we're going through this whole worldwide crisis with COVID, it's as humans, we don't like change. It is something that we we really just don't like dealing with, right? And yet, everybody in this world has now gone through a dramatic amount of change. Even if COVID didn't potentially personally impact you, 
everyone has somebody who they know who has been impacted in some way. And like everyone's been impacted in some way, right? Like you're working from home. Maybe it's harder to get to your job. Like there's so many things going on right now. And so it's really, you need to have so much more empathy, like I said, for all of these external challenges people have going on in their lives right now on top of just work. Right. Thank you. So it's about intention. And you have said, you know, the couple minute or five minute uh, chit chat at the beginning of a one on one. What are some other solutions that you can give us regarding being more empathetic of a leader? Yes. And so the other piece to this is kind of the other side of the coin. And and this is the one that, you know, can be really difficult sometimes, which is how do you show up as a leader when you're having those difficult conversations or when you're trying, you know, when somebody says something to you that frustrates you, right? Like, the emotional intelligence piece of realizing, okay, I need to pause and reflect before I respond. Again, it makes it just so much more crucial because we're remote and we don't have all those other little interactions to prove like, hey, I'm not like a horrible person, right? Like I, you know, (laughs) I might be, you know, I might have blown up at you, right? But And so it's so important as leaders, like, hey, we really are good at our emotional intelligence. Like, we really understand, like, the emotion we're conveying, because guess what? Like, if you're the VP, and somebody says something, and you just snap at them, like, that might have been like a one-off thing but let's say you're in a room with 30 other people now all 30 of those other people will have this opinion like they can't come say something to you that you might be opposed to because you'll snap at them and so even just like that's why it's so important to really be cognizant of how you're behaving as a leader and really like your communication and your intent and guess what? It also goes back to we're not perfect. So if you do snap at somebody accidentally, then go apologize, right? We are not perfect human beings. And an apology, especially if it's just right after, like, don't wait a month to give somebody an apology. Like, just be like, oh, shoot, I'm sorry. Like, I really didn't mean to react that way. Like, please, can we have this conversation again? Or like, I really do want to hear your point of view. Like, sorry, like I reacted. Like I said, if this happened in a big public room, hey, maybe you would need to give that apology actually in public. So everybody else in that room actually sees, oh, hey, like, I will be respectful if you give me a contrary opinion, right? Because as soon as your employees or peers get into their mind that they can't bring up something that you might disagree with to you, you've basically failed as a leader, unfortunately, because a big part of our job is encouraging disagreement. You don't want everybody in the world to agree with you. Like, that's not how we're going to build amazing products. We're going to build amazing products by having diversity of thought and having constructive disagreements and coming up with the best possible solution. But to be able to do that, you have to create a safe environment where people can speak up. And that really starts with the leader 
A, making sure that they're not shutting people down, and B, making sure that if somebody else is shutting people down, that as a leader, you address that. Like, that's the other big piece that you have to make sure is it's not just like your behavior. If somebody on your team also is consistently having bad behavior and you're allowing that and not calling it out, you're actually encouraging that behavior as well. So it's important to not just be paying attention to your own emotional intelligence, but really be coaching all of your engineers, especially your engineering leaders on their emotional intelligence as well. Right. I think there is some quote about this, like the worst behavior that you allow becomes like the baseline behavior in an organization. So be aware to be the person who gets in the uncomfortable shoes of perhaps calling people out sometimes and giving them feedback about what they have done. Mm -hmm. Thank you. With that said, you sound like you have done a lot of work on yourself, or maybe that came to you through some other means, but, but I feel like I should ask you what were some of the tools or strategies uh, that you have used to become more empathetic of a leader or really what made you so cognizant of the importance of empathy at the workplace? Yeah. So I'm kind of a learning junkie. Like I love to read personally and especially going back to my story of leaving Apple. When, when I left Apple, I was also kind of going through some imposter syndrome about like, Oh, I'm a horrible manager. I'm never going to be a good manager. Like I suck at this. And Part of it was just like, I needed to learn how to be a good manager. You know, this is something I tell a lot of people in the engineering. It's like, we promote our amazing individual contributors into engineering management. However, those skills are totally different. <laughs> and nobody prepares the poor individual contributors when they step into management. Like, hey, all those skills you've learned, you know, on the tech side, that's great. But here's a whole new set of skills you need to go learn. And it's okay that you're not going to be as amazing at this as you were when you first, when you were an IC, right? And I think that's a big struggle that a lot of managers when they're transitioning into management have. It's like they were the rock star employee and now they're kind of mediocre at being a manager. And it's okay. You have to develop and learn those skills. So first, it's about really telling people, like, if you're struggling with this, it is 100% okay. Like, I really struggled with a lot of this for a while. And it really comes to the A, being willing to be vulnerable piece. It's like, what is the difficult, uncomfortable thing I need to do today? And then go doing that thing. Because usually <laughs> that difficult, uncomfortable thing is the thing we're avoiding, but it's really the thing that we really need to be doing. And so with empathy, like I was talking about earlier and why I tried to make it really tactile is 
it's something you can learn. It's something you can literally practice on a daily basis as long as you're being intentional about it. And so that's the thing that I encourage is how are you going to be learning about and practicing? Because it's not just learning, right? You can learn and learn and learn and learn. But if you don't actually put something into action and start practicing it, like there's a big difference between the academic learning and actually being able to apply the these concepts like it takes practice of messing up at uncomfortable conversations to actually be able to get good at them and you know what I'm a lot better at having difficult conversations now than I was five years ago. Am I an expert? No, like I still have a lot of ways to learn and grow. And like, it's about realizing that like we, we are all as leaders, we should never be stopping to learn. The best leaders in my life are those who truly realize that leadership is a continuous learning journey for you as a individual. And If you kind of just stop and say like, hey, like this is who I want to be, you're kind of doing a disservice to your employees because really we can always get better at being more empathetic holding people accountable, but in a loving way, right? Like there's all of these skills where you can apply and you can spend years getting better at them. And, you know, I encourage people to, you know, figure out like, what is your focus area for leadership development uh, and, and do that? Awesome. Thank you so much. With that said, I am also a big believer of like continuous learning and becoming better. And I feel that, there are a lot of people who kind of have the same mindset, but then feel like, you know, empathy is something that I already know, or of course I can practice this. And they are leaders. How would you coach them into wanting to learn more about empathy or just becoming better empathetic leaders? Yeah. And, you know, so I, I think it's about, again, like we were talking about earlier, is being curious, being curious about why they feel they don't want to learn, right? Like, why, why do they think oh, learning isn't, you know, or becoming more empathetic isn't going to be valuable to them? And then really reflecting on that and sharing, hey, these are some of the areas where applying a little bit more empathy could actually help you in your day job, right? But it really, again, it starts from that curiosity piece of, you know, really listening about why, why do they feel that way? Why do they think, you know, focusing on this area of leadership learning isn't going to move the needle for them? And then really sharing the perspective of why it's so important, especially with respect to building a better world. And it's not just that, right? Like the business case actually shows that having inclusive and diverse teams is actually good for the bottom line too. I can talk about this till the cows come home, but really at the end of the day, like this is good for the business. The business people all on the call should be listening. Like this is going to make you money. (laughs) (laughs) I know it can seem counterproductive because sometimes you have these conversations. It's like, 
oh, why are we spending all this money? Or why are we focusing on, you know, so much effort on inclusion? But to truly move the needle, this can't just be something that's done on the side, right? Like it has to be looked at holistically across an entire company and across the whole business and all parts of it from everything from like hiring to the marketing messages that you're putting out there to the packaging that you're creating to even how you design your product for inclusion, right? I mean, even today, I Twitter released a voice tweet feature, I think this was a few years ago, and there was an uproar when they released the feature because they did not consider people who were hard of hearing and they didn't have transcripts for the voice features. And they said, oh, we're going to add that later. But think about that. Like, that is something like, Twitter's a huge multinational company. Like, this is something that should be thought about, like, not as an afterthought. Like, it, being inclusive for all people shouldn't just be, like, a P2, right? It should be central to the core product, right? And, you know, I, I gave that example about Twitter, but wasn't calling them out. I can give company examples across the whole valley of where this has been an issue, right? If you ask Siri about sports and you ask what the top sports teams are, it actually defaults to men's sports because the developers actually who I've actually had this conversation truly actually happened. One of the female devs actually asked the male developers like why it defaults to just men's sports. And they told her, oh, because, you know, the public doesn't really think women's sports are as you know, important as men's sports. Right. Like, and because devs are having these opinions, that's ending up in the products. And again, that is influencing the rest of the world. Right. And so that's why this is just such an important topic to think about. Like I said, this isn't just an HR problem. It's not about putting DEI into like a little bucket. It's really about, hey, we have to think about this across the whole business. Thank you so much. And you saying, you know, like this affects the money, we should probably cut that out and put it in the beginning <laughs> of our conversation so that uh, people will stay with us. With that said, we, we talked about what empathy is, um, how to enable leaders to become more empathetic. And we gave some tips about how to practice empathy more. What are some of the common mistakes of people who are trying to become more empathetic? If you could share a couple situations that you have been involved with or some people that you have worked with, and also what are some practical tips to make sure that some of our listeners don't fall in these mistakes? <laughs> so again, this a lot of times I'm talking to people just getting into leadership or management about this, right? And it really comes down to that, that one of those mistakes I mentioned earlier that I wanted to bring up again, it's, it's that whole, oh, I'm trying to fix it. And so I don't actually listen. And so really, it's about really getting out of that headspace of fixing things. And it's not only just fixing things. It's getting out of the headspace of starting to answer somebody 
while they're talking to you. And this is something to be that's really fascinating. And a lot of people don't realize that they do this, which is somebody starts talking to them and they get about listening through about halfway through what that person has said. They think they know the rest of what that person is going to say. So in their head, they think they listened. So they're starting to already formulate the response to the answer, but they didn't realize that, hey, they actually didn't end up really truly listening because instead their brain went off into answering that person. Instead, and this is what one of those things that people think is so uncomfortable, but it really isn't, which is it's much better to really truly listen and then pause for a second before responding to really take the time to to listen. And I think there's such of a uncomfortableness about silence. Having that pause for a second there, it sometimes just feels like, oh my gosh, I have to, I have to fill that silence. I have to fill that void. Right. And sometimes it's it's about letting that silence be there and being comfortable with like, hey, sometimes you need a moment to respond. And sometimes when you ask somebody a difficult question or you ask somebody for an opinion, you know, so many times like we'll, we'll put out a question in a room and then in a two seconds, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, nobody answered. I must have asked a stupid question. Let me just start talking myself, right? And then you start right. talking and you actually didn't give anybody an ability to answer because you're actually just stuck in your head's uncomfortableness, right? And so really it's realizing you're going to feel uncomfortable. Like if you don't feel uncomfortable, you're most likely doing it wrong. <laughs> unless you have like like could really disconnect your emotions and feelings most people I know like this is really sometimes gets into really uncomfortable territory and it's it's really about taking the time to listen to your own emotions another piece of advice I give people who are just starting in this is do daily reflections at the end of the day like what are things that went well what are things that I could potentially be doing better at right and don't beat yourself up right that's the thing right so many times we're like oh my gosh I did this thing wrong or I said the wrong thing I'm gonna just like I'm a horrible person Right. Like as soon as you go down that like negative rat hole of I'm a horrible person, like you're never actually going to go back and figure out how to get better at it. So really, like when you see yourself going down that rat hole, it's like, eh, no, I need to stop myself. Like, how can I actually like, no, I'm not a horrible person. Like I messed up. I'm human, just like everybody else. So like, what is it that like, what is the one thing I can do right now? To potentially make this better, right? And if there is one thing I can do right this second, like it might be a small thing. It might literally be like scheduling a calendar appointment tomorrow so I can have that difficult conversation and not just keep avoiding it, right? But it's really about like, hey, is there one thing I could do to move the needle here? And let me just do it, right? Like, let me not just delay on this and procrastinate. Let me just do it. I love it. Thank you so much. I think self-reflection is like one of the biggest aids to leaders in today's environment. But what you said about um, being uncomfortable or 
staying in uncomfortable silence made me think of uh, coaching school when when we first started out we started with uh, two minute periods of one person talking and the other person not even asking anything or saying anything just listening to the other person that was that was the first activity we had to do with each other give the other person two minutes if they run out of things to say then so you are sitting there in silence and another activity that built on this one was sit there you're telling a story and your counterpart is to only ask questions there is no place for the other person to give any statements they are only allowed to give questions and i think those two are really good uncomfortable tolerance builders if if there is such a thing um and i feel like if you're listening to this episode and you feel like you want to become more empathetic send it to a peer or send it to a friend and try these activities out with them and so maybe you can practice in a safe environment and then when you jump in those uncomfortable situations when the stakes are high you can already be a practiced person i love those examples they're awesome and again like i said like it's about being practical right and having tips of like hey this is something you can actually do right and so i love those examples i actually have another one which is another variant of that which is you have the first person share a story for two minutes and then you have the second person actually reflect back to the first person what they thought they heard and then the first person has to share a what they got right b what they got wrong and c what they forgot and it's really interesting going through that exercise because you it's it really helps you get better at active listening. You realize, oh my gosh, how many things did I miss? <laughs> right. I, I love that. So dearest listeners, it's all about the practicality and listening is also a skill that you can hone and make better. Thank you for sharing that. With that said, we have covered a lot of ground regarding empathy, empathy in the workplace, empathy in a remote environment, empathy as a leader, curiosity, how to use it when you're coaching other leaders. We also shared some practical tips and um, some activities that you can use at home or in a call like this one. Is there anything else that you would like to add a word of warning or some advice? Yeah, so I was just thinking about this when we were just going over those last couple of examples, which is, you know, obviously we've been talking about the workplace a lot, but realize that those things are also amazing for helping you build your personal relationships too. Like that that last example I gave you is actually a very common practice in marriage counseling. Marriage counselors teach people active listening because it's an important skill in your personal life. And so realize that, hey, these skills, like you don't just time box them to your work relationships. Like if you apply this to your personal relationships as well, you're going to really be able to deepen those too. And so, yeah, I think it's, 
so important to realize just how much application this can truly have in making us, you know, a better world in general. Thank you so much. I am crossing my fingers for making the world a better place. <laughs> thank you. With that said, thank you for joining us today. I would like to ask you to share where our listeners can follow you, follow your work, perhaps get in touch with you if they're interested in the topics that we have touched on. Yes. So please follow me on LinkedIn. You can just look me up, Josie Haynes. And I'm also uh, pretty active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MadeMarianJD. And so, yeah, feel free to follow me on either Twitter or LinkedIn and happy to connect. Thank you. Thank you so much. With that said... Dearest listeners, my guest today was Josie Haynes, VP of Engineering at Tile. And we talked about empathy, building empathy and empathetic leadership. I hope you got some things to take away from it. Please let us know if you are trying any of these tools out or if you have um, coached your peers in being more of an empathetic leader. We would love to hear from you. With that said, thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. I am Carolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.